I just have a little bit I would like to uh, share with you as we wrap up the series. I um, I also enjoy just kind of getting the, the overview and seeing the broad sweep of Scripture and uh, the story that's there. I love that. You might have heard the expression in the in the video where they said, read big, reading it big, reading the, the big picture. We're so used to the little parts, the, the little stories, the texts, um, uh, sometimes the verses that we love to just pull out and take a look at. Where, uh, and, and that's a wonderful way to know the Word, but to, to read it big and see how it all fits together. Reading big re-engaged me with the bigger story of what God has done, of what God is doing, and what God will do. A little bit like Kayla mentioned as she introduced that new song that affirmed our faith of the bigger story of what God's doing. I enjoyed approaching the Bible, the New Testament at least, as the story of God. I also appreciated, as Diane mentioned, the introductory material to each of the, uh, the chapters. In particular, I went back and read the introductory material to the whole book. And when I revisited that main introduction this week, I was captured by the word drama. Um, I, I, it makes the point uh, about story, of how it's a story of God, but it goes even deeper with this word drama. And this is taken from the introduction. But even more precisely, we can say that the story of the Bible is a drama. The key to a drama is that it has to be acted out. It has to be performed. It has to be lived. It can't remain as only words on a page. A drama is an activated story. I like that. A drama is an activated story. The Bible was written so we could enter into its story. It is meant to be lived. And so that's what I just want to look at for a few moments here is this drama of God's word. And so we say this, that though, though it's made up of many different books, many different poems, letters, different styles of writing, it's written over at least 15 different centuries by several different authors. The Bible is one big true story. One big true story of God and his plan to set the world right again. I like that term too. Not my original. I pulled that from the introduction. The story of God and his plan to set the world right again. And more than a story, it is a drama that has to be acted out and lived. A drama that invites each of us to play our part. So as we uh, bring this series to a close, this emphasis to a close, let's take a look, just a quick look at how the Bible unfolds uh, as a drama in six acts, okay? And here's the six acts. Act one is creation and purpose. Act two is the fall and separation from God. Act three is the plan of Israel and God's redemption. Act four is Jesus and his victory over death. Act five is the church and its mission where we are now. And act six is the hope of being at home with God forever. Act 1, creation and purpose. You know this part. In the beginning, it says, those are the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, creation unfolds and reaches its pinnacle in the creation of man and woman. The highest point of creation is the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And God's purpose for us uh, is to be in this close and trusting relationship with him. To be in close relationship with him and in harmony with the rest of creation. Man and woman are created in God's image and we are intended to share in the rule and care of this creation that he has put in place. This is that creation that God pronounced as what? As good. We were made for life with God. We were made to be at home with him in his perfect creation. But as we all know, it did not last and Act 2 starts pretty quickly. Act 2, fall and separation. Though created for life with God, Adam and Eve chose to go their own way. They were tempted to question God's trustworthiness. Can we really trust what he said? And so with this question, they chose to live apart from him. This is what we call the fall, the fall into sin. It was the introduction of sin into the world. And I think this gives us a a good definition of sin, that sin is doing life our way instead of God's way. 
Sin is doing life our way instead of God's way, and that had, beginning right there in the garden or just outside the garden, devastating consequences as it separates us from the life-giving presence of God. It separates us from the purpose-giving God. And this has led to a separation not only from God, but it also has led to the separation from each other. And so it became a fracturing of our relationship with God led also to a fracturing of our relationships with each other. And healthy relationships are hard to rebuild because of that. And this fracturing results in pain, shame, brokenness, loneliness, and eventually death. And in this process of separating from God, God becomes an unknown. God is not recognized. We were intended to live in close relationship with him, but the separation has made him invisible to us in a way. We rebel and we put ourselves in his place and we don't see him or recognize him. What can be done in this great drama? Can the relationship between God and humanity be restored? Can the curse upon creation be overcome? Is there hope for redemption? Of course, you know that there is. And it begins in the scripture in Act 3, which is the beginning of Israel. And God's plan for redemption, God's plan to redeem, God's plan to draw people back into relationship with him begins as he calls Abraham. He calls Abraham, promising to make him a great nation, to bless him and to bless all nations through him. And in this choice, God now in the drama is choosing to narrow his focus for redemption through one people group, the children of Israel. But his ultimate goal and purpose are still the same. That is to bless all people on earth, to forgive, to redeem, to remove the curse from creation, and to once again dwell in harmony together. But he chooses to work through this one nation, Israel. One of the most important events in the Old Testament becomes a model all through Scripture and even into uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. becomes a model for how God works and will work. And it happens to the descendants of Abraham as they are enslaved in Egypt and then set free. The whole story of the Passover and the Exodus becomes a pivotal point in Scripture. God hears the cries of his people as they're enslaved in Egypt, and he sets them free in what we call the Exodus. He promises to bless them, and he promises now to work through them. He promises to to be present to them in their worship, and he sets up a whole system of how they would worship and sacrifice and be present with him. He renews the hope of a promised land in which he he will be worshipped and where he will live with them. And all of this will be eventually a light to all the nations. God's plan to work through Israel and a plan of redemption. But as it happens, God holds up his end of the deal, and his people do not. The deal being the covenant. They're not faithful to this covenant God makes with them. He warns them. He, he woos them through prophets over several centuries, but to no avail. And eventually the people of God, Israel of God, is attacked and defeated. And the temple, the very place that they call the dwelling place of God, the literal temple, is destroyed. And God's presence once again is removed from his people. More separation, more sin. But God still loves his people. God is still committed to his plan to redeem. God is still committed to his plan to restore people and to dwell with them once again. And now he promises to send a new king, a descendant of David, through whom he will eventually return to live among his people. The end of Act 3 is a tragic and a sad one in the Old Testament. Israel becomes dispersed and is far, literally, geographically, and spiritually, and they are far from God. But there's the hope and the promise of the Messiah. Act 4, Jesus and his victory. We know the promises of the angels to Mary and Joseph from the Christmas story. We know the story of Jesus' birth. We know the stories of the life and the message of Jesus, where Jesus proclaims himself as the fulfillment of the prophet's promises. 
Jesus comes and he demonstrates kingdom power and he demonstrates the love of God. Jesus welcomes sinners and includes people and he dispenses grace and he irritates the people who think they're perfect. Jesus comes as this including, loving, grace-giving, wonder-working person. And because of this entrance onto the scene here as this person, he becomes a threat to the Roman conquerors who see that he might be lifting himself up as king. And he becomes an even greater threat to the Jewish leaders who see that he might under undermine the plan that they have in place. And so Jesus then is accused, tried, nailed to a cross, and dies. And what seems like a great defeat actually becomes God's greatest victory. Because in his death, Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice. Because he is fully God and fully man, his death is not just a death, it becomes an atoning death, an atoning death for the sacrifice of sins, and therefore forgiveness is made possible for all of God's people. Jesus takes on all the powers of evil and he empties evil of its power. And death itself even is defeated as he rises again. He secures this victory by rising from the dead. And so the reconciliation between God and his people is now possible. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story and a new start for the whole human race. With Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a new creation has begun. We often see new creation. We just think of it personally of a new creation worked in me. But a new creation in the world has begun through the resurrection of Jesus. Act 5 is the church and its mission. This is where the victory of Jesus spreads to the whole world. This is where the, the victory of Jesus spreads from Pentecost on through the pages of Acts, which was one of the first ones we read in our summer book club right after Luke. And this story continues right to August 30th, 2015 at Naperville Covenant Church. We are part of this act right now. God working in and through his church. God doing the work of gathering people all over the world and forming them into his church. We now as a church demonstrate the love of God as we join with him in his mission of recreating, of restoring. In his mission of justice and of forgiveness and of making things right between God and his people. We join God in making all things new. That is the mission of the church. That is the hope that we have living in the world now. That we are part of the mission of drawing people to Jesus and part of what God's doing to make things right. But there is still an Acts 6 and that is the hope that's still ahead. The hope that we will eventually perfectly be at home with God. God's hope has broken through in Jesus. God's hope has broken through in the church. But evil still persists. I don't need to remind you or point that out. (laughs) Evil still persists in brokenness, in wrongdoing, in sickness, and in injustice. We are living now in the overlap of the ages. This new age and new creation has begun in Jesus, but the fullness of hope is not here yet. We still live in this age where we are affected by evil and by sin and brokenness and injustice. And in this state of tension, we live with a final hope of a consummation that will come, but is not here yet. Where heaven is not someplace way out there we go, but heaven is something that comes here. And God is finally, once again, dwelling among his people. The book says this, we live in the time of invitation when the call of the gospel goes out to every creature. God's plan of redemption will reach its goal. And that's what we're involved in now. The day of resurrection will come. Christ will come again. Hope will be realized. Heaven will come to earth. A whole new heaven and earth will be set up and God will be at the center of everything. 
We see it in greatly symbolic language in Revelation. But the truth is that God will be at the center and worship will be given to him. God will be fully at home with his people and we will live in a meaningful existence with him. Some people think this worshiping, I mean, we're going to be like in church for the rest of you. Some of you are like, yawn, you know, but no. It's a meaningful existence. Finally, creation restored the way it was fully intended and living in relationship and doing meaningful work and in meaningful relationships as we live in the presence of God and worship him forever. Believe it? All six acts? It's a true story. It's a true story. We are in the midst of it now. It's a true story. It's a drama full of purpose. It's a story that's been activated and is in action right now. And it gives to each of us or has the potential to give to each of us meaning and purpose and direction in our life as well. And the exciting thing about this drama is that we are each invited to play a part in the drama. There are no auditions or casting calls. There's just an invitation to step into the drama. We're already part of it because we're part of creation. We're already part of it because we are created men and created women. But we also can take a greater role in it by stepping into the story and receiving that gift that Christ secured for us on the cross and coming from the empty tomb. We choose to play a part in the story. We choose to accept and to enter. We choose to participate in this kingdom that God has invited us into. We could choose to be resigned and defeated by persistent evil and figure that it's hopeless. Or we can tie our lives to the hope and the reality of God's call to be the church, to be his presence in the needy world around us, speaking and acting out the message and the hope of Christ. So my challenge this morning is that we take seriously what our part is in this drama. First of all, our own choice to say yes to God and receive the gift of grace and life in Christ. It's our only hope. It's really the only hope in this world that we live in that is so, still so damaged. So we make that choice, but then there's other choice to live into it, to do that walk, to live that life, to follow that path, and to make a difference in the world around us. What part will you play? What part will we play as the church? That quote that I just quoted from the introduction of the book says, we live in the time of invitation when the call of the gospel goes out to every creature. We live in the time of invitation. That really caught my eyes. Our vision statement says, We imagine ourselves as an inviting community. Isn't that great? We are in an age of of, of, um, a time of invitation. God inviting through the ways that we live each other, that we have a, a quality about us that is inviting as a community of faith. But we literally are inviting others as well to find this hope in this drama that God is doing a new work, that God is already doing the work of restoration and recreation. We call it making a kingdom difference, which is a simple little phrase, but it's uh, making a kingdom difference as we, we are doing things representing Christ. It means that we will, we will go about doing the kind of work that will draw people to know him and to know him better. We do the kind of work that will make an impact on the world and, and affect the areas of injustice and need and pain that are in the world around us, the areas that God equips us to do. We will celebrate the areas that we call wins. We will celebrate where we see us gaining ground. I think Diane sharing about inviting her neighbors was a good little reality. Invite 12, some ignore, some say no, two say yes, and both say I can't really follow through. But you did it, and they're thinking about it, and they're reading it. And that gives us hope, doesn't it? People want to know the truth. People want to know that there's something to hang on to and have hope in. And we are the ones that know how this drama ends. And so we need to be doing that together. We need to be reminding each other that we are 
part of something bigger. We're part of the big story. We're part of the story that the big reading of Scripture points to. There's hope for us as we're grounded in that word. Keep reading. You can't say, oh, I've read the New Testament, done. <laughs> Keep reading. Some people have asked, are we going to do the Old Testament? They're working on it. And it's going to be, in, I think, two or three different parts, right, Diana? We're not sure. But when the Old Testament comes out, we'll let you know. But you can still read the Old Testament now if you want to. But uh, we'll, we'll do this as a group too. But thank you so much for your participation in this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the deep, deep assurance that comes as we gather around the word together and as we lift it up together. We thank you, Lord, for that deep sense of assurance that comes as we embrace the big story, the big read, as we see that you really are at work from the moment of creation to this very moment now. And you've given us great hope as we look ahead to. Lord, I pray that you would do a, continue to do a stirring and work in each of our hearts and minds, that we would see that the way we live our life is a part of this drama, a part of the story of what you want to do in and through us as individuals, in and through us as a church as well. We thank you for the blessed assurance that there is as we know you and trust you and follow you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.